0: You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 530 to 7 p.m. on WDEV, AM, and FM and streaming at WDEVRadio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio fast pace. They can go no huddle, they can go two tight ends, they can go play action, they can take shots down the field, they can run the ball with Cam. I love the options here. Opinionated, Mac Jones was a safe pick, but his ceiling is just Kirk Cousins. To the point, the Red Sox are better than I expected. I still don't think they're winning the division. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEB
1: Radio.com.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas show on a post-holiday Monday right here on WDEV, AM and FM and com. We have another full show today. We go up until 7 o'clock and then we got Dinner Jazz and Red Sox Baseball tonight against the Angels as the Sox continue their West Coast swing here prior to the All-Star break. We'll get a close look again tonight, excitingly, at least for me, at Shohei Otani, so uh we will... uh Get into all things Red Sox here in a second. But we do also have a great conversation coming up tonight with UVM Athletic Director Jeff Schulman. We'll talk about the name, image, and likeness stuff from last week. That's going to come up at 6 o'clock today. Usually we have our guests at 545. Jeff Schulman, probably a little bit longer conversation, will join us at 6. We were going to have Keith Smith from Celtics Blog on with us today. But uh, nice enough to push it probably until tomorrow. And I gotta figure out what's gonna happen with Coach Brennan, but hey, that's my problem, not yours. And, uh, so Keith blog, uh, Keith Smith from Celtics blog with us tomorrow. Jeff Schulman with us today from UVM Athletics. Intern Jack is here. We are going to have our broadcaster draft today. We're gonna do this at about 6.25. We're gonna do this for two reasons. One, Marv Albert called his final NBA game after decades of being the lead voice for the NBA. So in honor of Marv Albert's career, we are doing our broadcaster draft. And you guys can weigh in on that as well, 802-585-3026. And also, look, it's post-July 4th. Anytime you're in radio around holidays, things get a little bit weird. So we're getting a little bit weird today. I don't usually, I'm not big on lists. I'm not big on Mount Rushmore's. I'm not big on would-you-rather's. I am big on drafts though. So, uh, the broadcaster, the WDEV radio Brady Farkas show broadcaster draft with intern Jack and I today at about 625. So again, the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open at 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Jack, let's go.
1: Five, four, three, two, one.
0: Where we go. The opening thoughts of the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, and they're online at sticksandstuff.com. So the Red Sox take two of three from the ace. They take two of three from a very competent and very good baseball team, and they do so on the road, and it was a very impressive series. And this is going to infuriate Jack, and it's going to infuriate you. But it's still the truth for me. Based on what we saw this weekend, or even despite what we saw this weekend, nothing about my perception of the Red Sox has changed. And before intern Jack tries to cram something down my throat, let me just say this. Of course, I have to acknowledge it was an impressive series. Extra inning win on Friday very easily could have been an extra inning win on Saturday and a great one nothing win and a great brilliant pitching performance yesterday from Nick Pavetta. It was this was an awesome weekend for the Red Sox. But nothing about this weekend changes my perception of this team because I have been consistent. I have said the same thing from the offseason about January 1st until now. I always thought That if the Red Sox were healthy, the Red Sox would be good. And here we are. The Red Sox are healthy, and the Red Sox are good. They're the best team in baseball. It's that simple, though. I've said this from the start. If everything goes their way, and if they remain healthy, they can be good. And right now, for 85 games, everything has gone their way. They have been healthy, and they are good. So that... My perception of this team doesn't change based on what we saw this weekend. I knew that they could do this if, if, if everything went their way. And so far, if, if, if has gone their way. Here's what maybe needs to change for me. It's not my perception of the team that needs to change. But what needs to change for me probably, and I will acknowledge this now, post-July 4th, I should probably just stop Assuming that something bad is coming. I've waited and waited and waited for the other shoe to drop. I've waited for someone to get injured. I've waited for someone to crater. And I just don't want to do that anymore. I, I'll be, if it happens, we'll deal with it then. But for right now, I just want to finally enjoy the ride that you're all enjoying because this has been a really fun first half of the season and I have spent so much of it Kind of waiting in trepidation or waiting with bated breath, not wanting to get too excited about it. I didn't want to karmically, you know, I didn't want the gods to karmically come down on me for getting excited about the Red Sox. I'm tired of waiting for something bad to happen. If it happens, we'll deal with it then. But I am, I am now here on July 5th. I am starting to ride with you. Uh, you're a, but your perspective is the same.
2: How are you riding with us if you're, if you're completely
0: on the opposite side? I, no, but I've, Jack, I've said this from the start. If, if, if everything goes good, the Red Sox can be good. If, if, if never happens. But if, if, if has happened for the Red Sox. Okay? I still, look, I still believe this. If the Red Sox suffer injuries to the degrees that their AL counterparts suffer them, they're going to fall out of this. And they're going to fall out of it quickly. But I am tired of waiting for that to happen. And I'm just going to enjoy it. Look, I still believe at my core that if the Red Sox lost the equivalent of George Springer, Kirby Yates, half their bullpen like the Blue Jays did, they'd fall out of it. I still believe if they lost the equivalent of John Carlos Stanton, Luke Voigt, Zach Britton, and Corey Kluber, they'd fall out of it. I still believe that if they lost the equivalent of Alex Bregman, they'd fall out of it. And I still believe if they lost the equivalent of the entire roster the White Sox have lost, they'd fall out of it. I, I absolutely believe that. But you know what? They haven't lost those pieces. So I'm going to stop just waiting for the other shoe to fall and just enjoy this. I am presently looking up
2: on Webster's Dictionary synonyms for the word negative. Brittle?
0: Brittle, brittle Brady? That's not true. No? Um...
2: See, yeah, but I'm, the thing I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up with the, with the right synonym, uh, Bleak Brady. See, but the thing ne- is though, just, Jack, it's not negative. I've never been negative about this team. I, I've been realistic. I think, I think, um they're not gonna win the World Series is negative. No, that I means think, that they're
0: one of thirty, one of 29 other teams that aren't, or 28 other teams. I think
2: they're gonna win the, I think they're gonna finish fourth in the division is negative, as it says in our fully produced intro. It's real, I,
0: I have been what I believe is realistic about this team all throughout. Do you believe one-on-one, full roster against full roster, they're the most talented team in this division? I don't. exactly. I think that
2: they are the most complete team in this division with guys that we didn't expect to step up, like Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor's been the best left-handed reliever in baseball. Who had that on their bingo card on April
0: 1st? The other thing that I'm going to stop doing, and it goes along with what I'm saying, is I'm going to just stop assuming that the other teams are now going to get healthy enough to catch the Sox. That's another thing I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for the Sox to be injured, and I've been waiting for the other teams to be healthy. And I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing both of those things, because I don't know at this point in the year if these teams are going to get healthy enough to catch the Red Sox.
2: Head-to-head, Boston is better than Tampa Bay. 100% pitching staff, maybe not as well, but offensively, without a doubt, Boston's better than Tampa Bay. They they okay. are better in one through nine. And then also, I could say that without, yes, without um, Tyler Glass now, yeah. of course, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, Boston's pitching rotation could go toe-to-toe with them with the emergence of Nick Pavetta, with the great pitching of Nathan Iavoli that we've gotten. And if Garrett Richards can get past the fourth inning, that's
0: all we need from him. I really do believe that in a battle of rosters that are 100%, everyone's healthy, as constructed, the Red Sox would be worse than the following teams. I think they'd be worse than the Blue Jays. I think they'd be worse than the White Sox. I think they'd be worse than the Astros. And I think they'd be worse than the A's. I think think they would be worse than all of those teams. I also think they'd be worse than Tampa in a battle of 100% healthy rosters. And I would have said before the year, the reason why I had them fourth, worse than the Yankees. I, I, I'll back off that now, that if 100% healthy, they might be better than the Yankees. But I still think they're like the sixth best team in the American League, pure roster-wise. But I, I'm i not going to assume that those teams are going to get healthy enough anymore. I mean, the White Sox are out. Got Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, uh, Nick Madrigal, they are all missed most of the season. And if they come back, in Jimenez and Robert's case, I mean, who knows if they're ever going to get going? Moncada, Grandal, they've all been injured for Chicago. I'm going to stop. So I'm telling you, on July 5th, I am ready to hop on board at least and enjoy this. I'm not saying that they're going to win the World Series still. But, but I'm ready not, to at you're least. Not invited. You're not invited on the train. I'm ready to enjoy the ride
2: it will, you, wherever it is. You ends. need to fully embrace what is happening right now. This is what has happened. What is? Here's what's happened.
0: And the other teams around them have gotten massively injured, and they've, and they've benefited from it. That, that's what's happening. There happened. is some magic with the
2: Boston Red Sox every time they get a first-year manager and uh, a first-year general manager, right? Terry Francona, 2004, what happens?
0: They win the World Series.
2: Odd. Uh, John Farrell, 2013, what happens? They win the World Series. Alex Cora, 2018, what happens? They win the World Series. And once again, Alex Cora takes the position in a first year manager role because he took, he, he was fired for 2020. And Boston is looking like they are the best team in baseball. They just swept the New York Yankees. They took, th- who badly. are evidently
0: terrible. They are, yes, they're not great, but that's probably because of Garrett Cole, and they swept the Royals, who were evidently terrible. And,
2: the, uh, I, and they took two out of three from a playoff Oakland A's baseball. Team. What after I'm saying, dro-
0: after dropping two of three to them earlier in the season at Fenway Park. What I'm saying to you is this: the Red Sox are good; they are better than we thought. But everyone else around them has gotten injured. And they have remained healthy, and and that's okay. Make no apologies the for. The Yankees are it. always hurt, though. Ka- Kawhi Leonard doesn't need to apologize for not playing Clay Thompson and seven and and Kevin Durant in the finals, whether he was with Toronto. If you know, uh, um, if if Phoenix beats Milwaukee, they don't need to apologize for the fact that Giannis is 100. percent It's okay. I'm just saying that when we look at what's happened, a they're better than we thought. B, Bloom has done a great job, which I always said. No matter what, I always thought that Bloom did a great job. And then three, the other teams around them have been injured. We've got Bummer Brady. That is going to be his new nickname, Bummer Brady. Is that coming on the text line? Uh Uh-huh. Well, we're going
2: to make sure. Everyone, text in right now. It is Bummer Brady right now if you want to roast him about his takes about the Boston Red Sox. You are not invited on the hype train. You can enjoy your miserable third-place life with the Seattle Mariners until you fully embrace what has
0: happened. I just said I am going to stop waiting for the other shoe to fall. 802-585-3026. Something that I did enjoy yesterday that I absolutely loved, that was Nick Pavetta's curveball. I mean, Pavetta was dominant, Jack, in every single part of that game yesterday.
1: Dude, the pitch. swinging a high pop-up. Pavetta's going to get out of this thing, assuming that Gonzalez can catch it. Instead, it's Kike in center field calling him off. He makes the play, and the inning is over. How about that for Nick Pavetta? Seven outstanding shutout innings. He is storming off the field. And on Independence Day, the Canadian pitcher, dominant in Oakland. one nothing. We go to the eighth. And one
0: nothing was the final, and with that, Pavetta gets the win. Seven innings, two hits, no runs, ten strikeouts. Two-to-one strike-to-ball ratio. He was in complete and utter control all game long outside of the bottom of the first inning. And that curveball was just devastating. I don't want to get, like, way too analytical here. But listen to this number on Pavetta's curveball, okay? Yesterday, Nick Pavetta threw 28 curveballs. That's a lot of curveballs. He threw 100 pitches. 28 of them were curveballs. So a big number. 10 of those 28 curveballs were either called strikes or were swung and missed at. 10 of 28 were either called a strike or swung and missed at. So that means that 36% of all his curveballs were called a strike or swung and missed at. Anything above 35% is considered elite. So yesterday, Nick Pavetta's curveball was elite. It was completely Dominant. 36% of his curveballs were called a strike looking or were swung and missed at by the A's hitters. And that is an elite ratio. Nick Pavetta's curveball has turned into my favorite pitch on the Red Sox staff. On the Red Sox starting staff, Nick Pavetta's curveball has turned into my favorite pitch. You were telling me before the show. Yeah. It's got the ninth most like vertical drop of any single pitch in the league compared
2: to the average yes
0: i mean so we're talking about something that against all all pitchers in baseball nick pavetta's curveball has our has you know top 10 most movement of any pitch like we think about barry zito's big curveball from back in the day rich hill Rich Hill, Clayton Kershaw's got a big kind of big bender. Nick Pavetta's curveball is that good, and it's in that air. And it's not just loopy. Like, he throws the thing with some velocity. It's not 65 miles an hour way up and down. It's like 79. 80, 80 miles an hour. Yeah, savant has it at 79. Yeah, so he throws that thing with some speed to it. Of all Red Sox starters, Pavetta's curveball is my favorite pitch. A really nice backdoor cutter from Erod to a right-handed hitter, and he got, I can't remember which hitter it was on the top of my head mm-hmm. on Friday night, but he got somebody with it. I love when E-Rod paints the outside corner to a righty with a backdoor cutter. 100-mile-an-hour gas from Evaldi, I like that, too. But none of it compares to me to watching Pavetta's curveball yesterday. Oh, that can thing was just gorgeous. Can I throw mine into the mix? Yes. When he's healthy, a Chris Sale slider. Oh, well, of course. Like well, when Chris Sale's healthy... That front that front foot to a righty slider where he throws it and it looks like it's starting on the outside half and then barrels in on a guy's front foot in the right-handed side of the box, that thing's devastating. That probably would be my choice, too, if he was healthy. If you he went with the whole staff, you know, I said Pavetta is, is my favorite of all the starters, but Barnes has a devastating curveball. He'd be in that mix for me. Workman's got a solid one. Workman's got uh, Whit, um Whitlock's uh, change-up is very good, and Salomura's splitter is very good yeah but it's got that koji splitter yeah i would say Pavetta, of all the starters without a doubt pavetta's curveball is my favorite what's pitch. what's crazy about that is that it's
2: technically not even the best curveball on staff because garrett richards has the second most vertical movement out of any curveball in baseball yeah but i i,
0: I don't know what's real and what's manufactured with with garrett richards well, now. The, the other guy above him is alex reyes other Cardinals. The so, Cardinals, sorry. Uh, I, I think that Richards' movement is manufactured at this point. So Pavetta's feels, feels real to me. And Pavetta's been so inconsistent this year. Look, like, he's still, he's got a 409 ERA. He's had a near no hitter against Tampa. He had yesterday's brilliance. He's had a couple other clunkers as well. He's been inconsistent, which I would expect from a young player. But when he is on, and he's 95 miles an hour attacking the zone, and with that curveball, He's showing another, you know, just more evidence of another great high and bloom move. Think about that high and bloom trades Brandon Workman and Heath Embry, and gets Connor Seabold, who's the you know one of the crown jewels of the Red Sox uh, farm system, gets him and gets Pavetta, and then ends up getting Workman back. You know, eight months later. So
2: basically, it turns into Embry for 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 Embry for Seabold and and Pavetta. Yeah, I. And the crazy part is, is you're right, like Seabold was the guy that when, when they got him was like, this, this is going to be the special kid, and so far Pavetta's been, you know, a top three starter on this staff.
0: Well, it's uh, just another evidence of Ian Bloom and his mastermindness here, uh, masterfulness at putting this roster together. So Brady Farca show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We've talked a lot over the last couple of months about Jacob Grout and his firing as the Hardwood Boys hockey coach. Well... There was an opinion piece in the Waterbury Roundabout this weekend about his firing. Both the writer and I agree that Jacob Grout has been done wrong. But I really do hate what this has become. That's next right here on DEV. WDEV Studios are sponsored by Formula Ford Truckland. See the all-new 2021 redesigned F-150
1: and the 2021 Bronco Sport at FormulaFordVT.com today. I was originally on the fence about the vaccine. I've definitely been on the fence. Some people are nervous. Right up until today, walking in here, I wasn't going to get it. It's kind of politically charged. We're all trying to do the right thing and figure this out together. But then once I read a little bit about it, after listening to a lot of the professionals.
0: I talked to my doctor. I said, this is safe. He says, 100%. I actually followed
1: the science.
2: I believe in science. Up to 50% of all cases could be asymptomatic.
1: The benefits outweigh any potential risks. You'll be able to travel more. Like, more things will open up for you. It's not just for you. It's for everybody else. That should be all it takes to have a reason to get vaccinated. I'm just sick of things feeling the same for this long at this point. I have the opportunity to just cancel it all out. i well do it. It's, it's painless. It's a quick 30 seconds. I was in and out. Uh, a lot worse in my head than I thought it was going to be.
0: I'm uh, really grateful that I did get it. This is Our Shot, Vermont. Find a vaccine near you at healthvermont.gov slash myvaccine. Vermont is an amazing place. It's not like any other place in the world. On Vermont Viewpoint, we want to capture that uniqueness in our people, our geology, politics, food, and fun. Listen every weekday morning from 9 to 11. You'll hear from our lawmakers, newsmakers, and your friends and neighbors right here on WDEV. I'm Rick Stengary, host of Vermont Viewpoint, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts and ideas as we explore the flavors and the beauty of this wonderful place. Listen to Vermont Viewpoint every weekday morning from 9 to 11 and join in with your thoughts. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802 585 3026. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Usually we have our big guest at this time, but uh, we're pushing that till 6.05 today. Jeff Shulman, UVM Athletic Director, will be with us talking about the name, image, and likeness stuff that came out last week. On the local high school front, this may be the last time we talk about the Jacob Grout situation at Harwood. We had Jacob Grout on last week. Well, Harwood cross-country coach John Kerrigan penned an op-ed to the Waterbury Roundabout this weekend to talk about Jacob Grout's firing. And essentially, Kerrigan writes that he doesn't like the school's handling of the Grout saga. We're in complete agreement there. He also doesn't like... the school didn't really follow a thorough hr process for firing grout we also complete agreement there but what i don't like is this kerrigan mentions a looming bond issue when we learned about this in the afternoon news service with lisa scalodi of the waterbury roundabout kerrigan mentions a looming bond issue that the school board is going to have come up in November. And basically, the school board is going to need the community to vote on this bond and pass this bond. And it go, the money will go for a lot of things kind of school community improvement-wise. And so Kerrigan writes that basically the community has been angered by this ground handling. And therefore, they may retaliate against the school board by not passing this bond. And that is a problem, Kerrigan says this right there is why people hate politics okay that same that scenario right there is why people hate politics politics just feels dirty it feels like a series of backroom deals and a whole bunch of well if you scratch my back we'll scratch yours it shouldn't be this way kerrigan is basically writing that hey You mishandled the Jacob Grout thing, so we're going to screw you. Like, that's kind of what Kerrigan's saying here. and Basically, hey, voters, you're you're P.O.'d about this one? Well, don't give them what they want over here. That really, really bothers me because... I feel like the Jacob Grout issue should have just been handled independently of the bond issue, and he should have been given a fair shake simply because it's the right thing to do and not out of political favoritism or potential political gain, Jack.
2: It's not like that this kind of thing hasn't happened before in the Vermont high school setting. In 2017, I was a junior at South Burlington High School, and we were making this change from rebels to wolves. And the school board ultimately had the... Power to say we are going to make that switch happen. 100%. It's going to happen. Uh, and there was very little polling of the students. The students felt like their voices weren't heard. It was a min- minority group of students that were pushing the change, and it was like 92% said they liked the Rebel name. That November, the budget was rejected three separate times by voters before it was finally approved. And that is the kind of, you know, outreach that the community can have and the kind of power that they can have when they don't like a situation. So, I mean, like, I'm not saying, again, like, I agree with Kerrigan's statements, but it's the kind of thing that, yeah, students are, it's, are you know, the community, they have, they have power in this, too.
0: It just feels, but the whole thing just feels tiresome. After a, coming off an election cycle where all we did was fight about everything, this feels like another... Sorry, my watch went off. (laughs) This feels like another thing that's just here to divide us and PO us all off. And again, it feels like this is turned into, hey, we got screwed here, so we're going to screw you there. And that's what I don't like. Jacob Grout's situation has been mishandled from the start. And I don't want it now to be turned into a game of political back and forth or a thing where it's used... Use for or against someone for political gain. Okay. How about simply doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do? Jacob Grout was tossed aside as the coach at Harwood when he should have been given an opportunity to learn and grow from his mistake. He did something wrong. He sent an inappropriate text message with curse words to his team. I understand that that was wrong. I've advocated for him to be suspended for a game or two, heck, maybe even four, this past season, if you really want to prove the point. But he never should have been fired. He should. It was a relatively benign mistake in the grand scheme of things. He should have been given the chance to meet with the administration, meet with his team, meet with the complaining parent. He should have been given opportunity to grow from it, but he wasn't. And he was tossed aside and discarded. And to me, that's really unfortunate. And it's unfortunate to me also that everything now is seen as a negotiating ploy. I'm not naive. You're right. This thing happens and this thing happens everywhere. But I'm ticked off that it's happening here and it's happening about this. Because at the end of the day... The community and the kids are the ones who lose here. The team loses by not having Jacob Grout be their coach, somebody who went to their school, who's a generally positive role model, who loves that team and loves that school and that community. The players miss out on the opportunity to play for him, and if the voters in turn are ticked off and they don't pass the bond, then future students get hurt because their school improvements don't get made, and that's part of what the bond is going to. I'm tired of kids suffering at the hands of adults who are there to play politics this really bothers me and i started to think about this this weekend in anticipation of this story i had the thought come to myself recently brady you care a lot about this jacob grout story and you've cared for four months why do you care so much about a division two boys hockey coach And why do I, like, I'm I'm trying to think, why do I care so much about this? And the reason why is I see a lot of myself in Jacob Grout. It's really that simple. I see a lot of myself in him, and therefore, this whole scenario, from front to back, has bothered me throughout. Jacob Grout is 31 years old, same as I am. Graduated high school within one year of when I graduated high school. He played he coached just like I did. And while I never, look, while I never wrote anything to a team that was inappropriate, God, I'm sure I gave an impassioned post game speech before in a dugout that I'm sure was not something that I would want, you know, to relive right now. And if that kind of thing can cost you your reputation in the community, That certainly hits home to me, and that whole thing has bothered me from the start. It's been evidence to me from the beginning that Jacob Grout is not a bad guy, that he didn't have bad intentions, that he did make a big mistake, but it frustrates me that the people in the school community who are supposed to help Jacob Grout grow and the people in the school community who are supposed to help kids grow are failing them both and... They seem to be doing so repeatedly. And I, it bothers me that this issue, which is already a big issue on its own, is I'm sure now, because of this bond, gonna be turned into a politicized issue come November when this bond wants to get passed. And, and that just rubs me the wrong way, because at the end of the day, Jacob Grout gets screwed, and the school community of children Loses out as well.
2: It's not an eye for an eye mentality. And Stephen Faison says, You're right, tiresome, and it's time for us to let it go. So, I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's not an eye for an eye situation. That's all.
0: So Steve wants me to stop talking about it. He goes, I'm neither for or against just tire. So, well, I think that's probably going to be, this is probably going to be the last of it. And like I said, the reason why I, I think I, I'm so fascinated by this story is because, um, I identify a lot with we need, you to, we need you to give the hype speeches on Sundays in our men's league. Why, was that good? Did you feel impassioned I or something? I think you,
2: if you see yourself in him, then fire us up. We're yeah. on like a six-game losing streak.
0: Yeah, well, we, we need something. Maybe we need spider Tech. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and wdevradio.com. All right. Last week, we spoke about this NIL stuff and how it impacts the University of Vermont Athletic Department. Well, how does it impact The uvm athletic department how does it impact recruiting how does it impact women's sports we get those answers from the man at the top jeff shulman athletic director at uvm is going to be with us next right here on wdev am and fm and wdev radio.com jack hit the button now it's back to the brady
1: farkas show on wdev am fm and wdev radio.com
0: Welcome back in very Brady Farkas' show right here on a post-holiday Monday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now, UVM Athletic Director Jeff Schulman. Jeff, appreciate you being with us. Hope you had an enjoyable Fourth. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of the NIL stuff I spent a lot of last week talking about, I got to say, how cool is it for you to... Watch the Stanley Cup finals and know that you're, you're going to end up catamount happy either way. Either Dominic Ducharme comes back for the Canadiens from 3-0 and leads them to the first cup since 93, or Ross Colton
1: gets a ring for Tampa. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very exciting uh, Stanley Cup for UVM hockey. And as you know, we've, you know, probably uh, won more than our share of, uh, of Stanley Cups with UVM alums. Um, I don't think we've ever had a coach, so. Uh, obviously Montreal's got its work cut out for him, but I'm really happy and proud of, of Dom and what he's been able to do since he was named as the, uh, interim head coach. And, and to see Ross, uh, you know, play so well in the playoffs and when, since he was called up really has been great. So we're excited for Catamount to, uh, hoist the cup. And, you know, as a hockey fan, I'd like to see the series go a little bit longer, yeah. but, uh, we'll see how it plays out.
0: You know, you said this last week. I said this last week. I think the, name image like this stuff the profitability opportunities for student athletes is a long time coming and it's ultimately a good thing but i have said that i think there are real perils to it for individuals and programs do you have any concerns about this
1: yeah, you know, I think, like you said, on a macro level, I think it's, you know, it's time that our student athletes have essentially the same opportunities as any student at the University of Vermont or any, you know, no matter where they're they're going to school, um, to to benefit and profit ultimately off their name, image, and likeness. But obviously, this is really new territory for all of us in in the college athletic space, and there's certainly some things that uh, that we're keeping our eye on, and probably lots of things that we don't even can't even anticipate right yeah. now. You know, not that uh, not that we over- want to overly coddle our student athletes, but we do want to make sure that they're not being taken advantage of, and um, maybe even inadvertently getting involved in in some sort of agreement that ultimately isn't in their best interest.
0: Do you ever worry about their ability to properly manage everything time wise? It's hard to be a student athlete as it is. It's hard to be a college person as it is. When you throw in this extra stuff. Do you worry about time management at all for student athletes and how it impacts either athletics or academics?
1: Yeah, that's certainly one of the things that uh, you know has come up as as a concern. Again, it's hard to know exactly how detailed and involved our student athletes are going to be in, in in whether it's their own entrepreneurial activity or. As a sponsor or endorser for a particular company or brand, um, you know our student athletes do an amazing job of balancing their their times yeah. um, academically, athletically, and, and their own personal lives. And this will be another element of it for some. You know, uh, it's, it's unclear now how many of our student athletes will will be involved, but. You know, part of what we're also trying to do is help them develop the skills that they're going to need to be successful in life. And as you know, uh, when you get out of college, uh, it's not like the time demands stop. So there, yep. there's going to be pressure on them no matter what it is they're doing in their lives. And and uh, um, so I think this, you know, in some ways will help them uh, with with that aspect of moving on from EVM. We've
0: seen one athlete so far, at least that I know of, Bailey Patel on the men's basketball team, partner with Barstool Sports. And, and look, I'm not a... a a noob on this barstool does a lot of good things it has a good reputation in a lot of ways but it also has a sordid history and a questionable reputation in a lot of ways do athletes partnering with brands that maybe the school doesn't want to be partnered with is that something that concerns you maybe not even here but just down the line in general
1: we certainly want our athletes to be thoughtful about who they're aligning themselves with and understand that there's you know there's um sort of baggage that comes with that no matter what what the brand is. So that's part of what we'll be educating them on. Again, this has all happened so quickly that we really haven't gotten into that aspect of it. We do have a few sort of explicitly restricted categories, alcohol and tobacco and um, those types of things that are just a very clear very clearly in conflict with our with our values as an athletic program, and um, that list may may evolve as as time goes on. Um, but it, you know that's an important consideration I think for our student athletes.
0: Jeff Shulman, UVM Athletic Director, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. Um, I guess this would probably only impact skiers at UVM, at least as far as I know. But how does this impact an Olympic athlete?
1: It really doesn't impact an Olympic athlete. In fact, it probably makes, you know, the NCAA, uh, uh, model closer to the Olympic, um, model in that, you know, they can have equipment sponsorships and they can endorse products and, and brands. So this, you know, the Olympics got past, uh, you know, the, the traditional amateurism notion many years ago. And so, like like I said I think um you know and it is it is relevant for our skiers I know some of them have already had conversations with some of the equipment companies about being uh, a brand ambassador endorsing uh receiving free product Um so I it, it, it wouldn't jeopardize their Olympic eligibility in any way
0: I think this probably applies to men and women's hockey more than your other sports given the high profile nature of the conference that they play in but Do you ever worry about this NIL stuff being used against you in recruiting by some of the bigger schools in that conference?
1: Um, You know, recruiting is such a competitive uh, landscape, really, in all all of our sports. And, you know, they may be a little different uh, place in the national, um, you know, sort of – Picture, but um, you know, hockey is obviously a sport where our goal is to, to win national championships, and so we're going up against the best around the country for uh, for recruits. Um, I think it's really unclear how this is going to play out from a recruiting standpoint. It's it's you know, one of the guardrails that the NCAA very clearly put out um, was about recruiting, and that yeah. uh, nil agreements can't be used as recruiting inducements. Um, now. If you're a school where student athletes are having a, a ton of success, uh, in the NIL space and, um, being able to monetize that because of your community or the profile of your sport, that, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be used in, in the recruiting process. There's no question. Um, I think we in many ways benefit just from the, the fact that we're the, you know, we're the only show in town. There's no other division one schools in the state of Vermont. Um, very, really, really no professional sports, uh, any any longer now that the Lake Monsters have have shifted their affiliation. So, uh, you know, our athletes our athletes are pretty high profile in our community. Obviously, you know, Burlington and Vermont is a lot smaller than some of the places that we're competing against. But I think probably the success on the NIL front, at least at that level of the sort of higher profile athletes and endorsements, is more a function of sort of where they are in the marketplace. And, you know, even though BU or BC, you know, elite level players that many of whom will go on to play in the NHL, as, as do ours, um... You know, in terms of the Boston marketplace, their athletes are are way down the the pole in terms of uh, interest in in their community.
0: One thing you were asked about by the media at your press conference last week, and I agreed with your answer on this. I just want to bring it to this audience here. Um, Are you worried at all about businesses that may sponsor UVM Athletics kind of reallocating their money to individual athletes instead of spending with the university as a whole?
1: I'm not really you know we have great relationships with our uh community partners and the businesses and the, the companies and organizations that we've worked with for many years and I think know that their interest in Vermont is that in you know in a in a program that uh, that does things the right way that has its priorities straight in terms of academics and athletics and the personal development of of student-athletes so you know I I don't see any of our major partners shifting their support from UVM athletics to individual student-athletes now they may choose to partner with individual student-athletes and that's great Um, but I, I, it's, it's not something that's a major concern of mine uh, at this point. Something that is a little inside
0: baseball here, but I'm
1: curious about. Um,
0: you talked last week about not having athletes sponsor competing brands. Like UVM is a Nike school, so therefore no Adidas Under Armour Partnerships. That makes sense. For years, when I worked at the other radio station, the basketball broadcast booth was the Handys Toyota broadcast booth. Is it the same thing there? Could a men's basketball player not have a car endorser if it's not Handy's Toyota, or is that not quite the same
1: as the Pepsi, Coke, Nike, Adidas debate? Um, You know, it's a good question, Brady. First of all, you know our our radio sponsors are part of our overall sponsorship network, uh, controlled by what we call Vermont Sports Properties, which is a subsidiary of Learfield Sports that owns our multimedia rights. So, if you hear a a sponsor on the radio, they're a sponsor of UVM Athletic, not necessarily the radio station that uh, that we're affiliated with. So. Um, and you know we we do have in our what we're calling our interim NIL policy, just because the NCAA is calling its policies interim, um, because there's still a long way for the, for this to go before it's fully sorted out. It could include a congressional, um, you know, uh, congressional action, um, which a lot of us are hoping for, just so that there's kind of a level playing field around the country. But in terms of the the, the issue. Of Conflicts with our existing sponsors is really is going to be a case by case basis. You know, it's not, again, we're not trying to overly restrict, um, or limit our, our student athletes. Um, at the same time, we're not trying to embarrass any of our existing sponsors or, or partners. So we'll have to look at that on a, on a case by case basis. But, um, it's not that, you know, cause you, you could make a case, I guess, that almost everything is in some way in conflict with one of our partners. We're not, we're not looking to, um, to be overly aggressive in, in terms of enforcement in that regard.
0: Jeff Schulman, UVM Athletic Director, I've got two more uh, questions for you. How does this impact women's sports? A lot of the talk has been about men's sports and high-profile men's sports. How does this impact women's sports?
1: Yeah, it's a really... Um, I'm glad you brought it up, Brady, because I do think you know people's um, minds initially go to our higher-profile sports, and uh, not only at UVM, but, but nationally as well. And certainly um, you know, at a national level, you know, you've got athletes who are going to be first-round draft picks or number one picks overall that you know, are probably in a pretty good place to, to enter into some sponsorship agreements. But I think in a place like UVM, we may be very surprised who ends up benefiting most from this. And it could very well be, um, you know, a, a swimmer, or a track and field athlete, or a field hockey player who, um, you know, has a real um, big social media Profile and is able to, um, you know, kind of translate that into free products or sponsorship agreements or things that that you know maybe beyond my understanding of, <laughs> of all of that. Um, and camps and clinics are another big part of this as well. And you know, we have some student athletes who, um, you know, back in their hometown are, are really high profile, and um, if they put their name on a on a camp or a clinic, they could make uh, pretty pretty good uh, money through that and. Um, you know, even a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars—that's a lot of money for a yep. college student. And uh, you know, I, again, I, I'm excited for that piece of it, and for those types of opportunities for our student athletes, because you know, some of the the, the, the amateurism model that has existed, um, you know, and, and the limitations on things like that just haven't made sense for a, for a long time. So, um, I'm excited for our, for our female student athletes, for our men um and, and for student athletes around the country. Um and, and this is going to take some time to evolve and we're gonna learn some things as as we go, but I think um, by and large we're we're heading in the right direction.
0: I'll end it on this. Um, the end of the academic year brought about a lot of conversations about sexual misconduct on campus as a whole at UVM and you spoke about UVM athletics trying to be a leader in the solutions to those problems. Um something I advocated for a couple of weeks ago was the implementation of a semester-long class you know um, segregated by gender men and women's but a semester-long class and relationships and handling things on all relationship fronts is that kind of thing something that the school has talked about or maybe be receptive of as you talk about being a solution to the uh, to the issues um, you know alleged issues on campus
1: Yeah, you know Brady we we um First of all, obviously, we heard and listened to what our the students were saying and our our student athletes and obviously the you know the issues around sexual assault and sexual misconduct are, are incredibly serious and need to be taken as such and, and It's something that we have been taking seriously for a long time. Now, we're certainly not perfect, and we've heard cases where students haven't felt uh, comfortable reporting, and that's something that that we need to work on. Um, But we've had uh, a pretty robust educational program in place for quite some time. at the same time, we need to look at that and say, you know, are we is it the right program? Are we educating our students in the right way? What do we need to tweak on this? And we've worked with a group of student athletes, student athlete leaders, who are who are helping us to make sure that uh, that we have the right types of programs in place, um, and are doing everything in our power to make sure that that no student uh, on this campus and, and no student athletes have to be mistreated. So. Um, we, we actually have a, um, a healthy relationships uh, module that's part of a, a mandatory class that all first-year student-athletes do take. It's, it's a student-athlete development class. It's obviously not focused just on sexual misconduct, but that is a, a part of it. Um, all of our teams go through uh, team-specific training um, with our colleagues and partners around campus on sexual misconduct and unhealthy relationships. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna be doing more. And I don't know if it'll specifically result in a in an entire semester class. But um, you know we're it's it'll be it'll continue to be an, an area of 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 emphasis um, in our department for sure.
0: Jeff Schulman, UVM Athletic Director. Jeff, appreciate the transparency um, on that. I appreciate the insight on the NIL stuff, certainly. Uh, a lot of conversations happening on campus in a whole lot of different ways, as always. So, Jeff, we appreciate you. Uh, a continued good summer, and we'll talk to you again here uh, down the line.
1: Thanks, Brady. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. There
0: goes Jeff Schulman, UVM Athletic Director. Again, that full interview. If you miss any of it ever, any of our interviews, always available online online on the podcast version of the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. There's a lot to digest there, and we are going to get into a lot of it tomorrow as well on the show, kind of reacting to our Jeff Schulman interview and the stuff about the NIL stuff. I found it interesting, his take on how it would impact women's sports. I actually agree with him as well. I think it could be a big boost for women's sports overall. I don't think that... um, I don't think that the athletic department is going to lose a bunch of revenue because sponsors are sponsoring athletes rather than sponsoring programs or the school. I don't think that that's going to be the case. One thing that I think in my gut tells me that i changed my opinion on is, you know, initially when I heard that this was going through, I thought, well, hey, you look at men's hockey. And I said this the next day. I thought men's hockey was really impacted negatively by this because I said, Boston College, Boston University, being in a big pond, they're going to be able to kind of monopolize athletes in this conference as far as recruits go. And I think now a week later I've softened on that to the point where I kind of think that Jeff Schulman's onto to something when he says, look, if you're in Boston, Celtics, Red Sox, Bruins, Patriots – New England Revolution, all these colleges, there's a lot of places there that need dollars and are competing for those same dollars. In Vermont, you don't really have that. So, while maybe there's less businesses in Vermont overall, they may be able to, you know, go and get all of the money at a business rather than getting off scraps like some of those Boston schools are doing, so. Do you think the ratios
2: correlate? What do you mean? So one big school, not a lot of businesses in Vermont. Three big schools in Boston, you know, tons of businesses, plus sports teams. Um,
0: I don't know that it correlates, but I do think that the competition is going to be so fierce in Boston for advertising dollars. I don't think the competition is going to be that fierce in Vermont. It's just about UVM doing its best to continue to expand its advertising profile and maybe going outside of Burlington. Now, with all the digital partnerships and stuff, it may be beneficial for UVM to get a business from Rutland or to get a business from Brattleboro. That's not directly where, okay, it's not the traditional, hey, go enjoy a Catamount win right down the street after the game. Maybe it's not that. But Mm -hmm. I do think when it comes to athletes and business partnerships and NILs, UVM would be well served to go across the whole state to try to find business whereas those other places again yeah more businesses but there's such fierce competition for those dollars um another thing i think is important is is and jeff said there's more going on there in terms of sex education and relationship education at uvm maybe than any of us knew about there's more going on there already but I really am in favor of a semester-long class for all student-athletes. And I think that that semester-long class, I'm feeling pretty good about this kind of lesson plan in my head already. You look at a, just say it's a fall semester, and the fall semester, four weeks in September, four weeks in October, three weeks in November a week in December, two weeks in December. You're probably looking at about a 12-week-long class by the time you knock out finals week and Thanksgiving and all that. You'd probably have a 12-week-long class. And I think there's absolutely enough curriculum there for a 12-week-long class on relationships, on sex education, on understanding who is who in the university hierarchy. I think that it would serve everybody, both men and women, knowing, okay, who is who here? Who do I call? What's the chain of command? What happens, you know, when I set the chain of command in motion? I think there should be a full class that all student. look, I'm speaking for the athletic department here. I can't speak for the entire school community, but I think that the athletic department should have a mandatory class, a semester-long class that you have to pass, you know, in order to play. Now, obviously, if you're a fall athlete, it's going to run concurrently here with some of your, you know, with some of your games, so i got to kind of figure that out in my head. Maybe it's a summer class before everyone gets to campus. I I think that makes more sense. So maybe it's a summer class for the fall athletes. Maybe it's a fall class for the winter and spring athletes. Maybe that's how it goes. But
2: At Quinnipiac, uh, every single student, not just athletes, every single student has to take this online course. It's like two hours long. It's the beginning of every semester, and it just kind of goes over the, you know, drug, alcohol policies, yeah, but see, and that is so abuse, ju- and like, yeah, but it, but it also covers sexual violence and things
0: of that nature. And look, I had to take a class like that as well, but that just feels like a university window dressing, a university saying, we hey, we cover our bases here. I'm talking about an actual immersive class where there's actual people coming in and survivors talking. Again, 12 weeks. You can make the curriculum how you want, but... Okay, here's the chain of command on campus and that person's talking one week. Here's how, you know, here's a relationship counselor and here's how that hand is handled. I, I think there's enough material there and I think it would benefit both men and women and a whole lot of different fronts to do this class. And a number of those allegations of sexual misconduct were against UVM student athletes. Okay. Yeah. And if you are the athletic director and you are the athletic department and you want to be proactive as Jeff Schulman says that they are, then I think that that is something to seriously look into. I do not believe that a uh, a, a once-a-semester lecture, a once-a-semester guest speaker, an online class for two hours, I don't think that's getting the, getting the point home. That's just window dressing and saying that we covered our bases. So if you want to take this seriously and you want to attack the problem at its root, I think you need to get to these kids In their first semester on campus, whether they're 18, 19, 20, or 21, get to them their first semester on campus and teach them about a whole lot of different stuff. That is a serious topic. We are going to do a much less serious topic here on the other side of this commercial break. So we will have much more with Jeff Shulman and uh, the breakdown of what he said about the NIL sub tomorrow, but we're going to have some fun here. They always told me. When I got into radio, holidays were a time to be a little bit goofy and a little bit weird. And Jack and I are going to get a little bit goofy and a little bit weird. Marv Albert, legendary NBA broadcaster, called his final NBA game this weekend. In honor of him and his career, Jack and I bring you the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV Radio. First, broadcaster draft. Who are we taking That's next right here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. Dinner jazz coming up at 7 o'clock. Red Sox baseball pregame show 840. Sox and Angels from Anaheim. We've got it for you. First pitch at 940. Martin Perez on the mound. Sox have won 9 of 10. Farka, the uh, Brady Farkas Show brought to you in part by Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a high intensity interval training program in South Burlington. It's in the same plaza right off uh, Interstate 189 as in, as is uh, Chipotle, Starbucks, Subway, et cetera. So uh, easy to get to, easy to find. It's hour long classes, 45 minute classes in some cases that they get you working, okay? You're, you're going to have a calorie burn for 24 hours, uh, great immersive training staff coaches there to encourage you and help you achieve your fitness goals and it doesn't matter what level of your fitness journey you are at whether you are at the beginning of it or you are a seasoned fitness veteran you can do the program you're just doing it at your own speed and at your own weight so it's something that i did for three years before the pandemic now i'm getting back into it and happy to be back okay jack marv albert a yeah. long time voice of the nba and he's, I mean, longtime voice of the NBA. He said goodbye to the broadcasting world this past weekend as he was calling NBA playoff action Eastern Conference Finals. Reggie Miller, Hall of Famer in his own right, he was Marv's broadcast partner. Here was Reggie Miller's send-off to Marv Albert. This is the end of an era for, for you. And I've had the opportunity to be next to you. I've been at Turner now 15-plus years. You've called a lot of uh, some of my best games when I played for the Pacers, and there's a lot of men and women who have sat next to you, and you have treated everyone with the utmost respect. You gifted the game of basketball with your voice. Thank you, Marv. I know there. Was... Thank you, Marv. You gifted the, that was beautifully said. You gifted the game of basketball with your voice. He's 80 years old, and he became get this he worked his first ever New York Knicks game. In 1963, in 1963, did NBA and NBC 1990, so we're talking 30 years network NBA coverage. Marv Albert, certainly one of the best when it comes to his in-game broadcasting. So, in honor of Marv Albert's career, intern Jack, young broadcasting student, broadcasting aficionado, we are going to have the broadcaster draft. I've put few guardrails on this but I'm going to announce this to the people. 802-585-3026 for you to support and or shred our own picks and make your own picks. Here's <laughs> what we're doing. You get 5 picks. Yep. Okay? We get 5 picks. Snake draft. I'll let you pick first. Then I'll take picks 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. You get pick 4, etc. So you get 5 picks overall. Defend <laughs> your picks. We'll talk about them. Have a little fun with that. Sounds good. All I'm saying is this. They have to be current, they have to be on a network, so that's why we don't know no Joe Castiglione, but they have to be on a network, major network, doesn't matter the sport. You get two play-by-play broadcasters, two analysts, and one wildcard. Sounds good. And you can pick in any order that you want. So... You've got the music, uh, the uh, draft sounder
2: keyed up there. I've got, and I've also just got the intro sound, which was just going to be the Sunday Night Football theme. There we go. That's introing us
0: into this. Okay. I'm excited. The WDEV, Brady Farkas Show Broadcasting Draft, Intern Jack with the first pick. My first pick. Can you
2: hit the music? Yeah, I'll hit the music. There you go. My first pick of CBS Sports is Jim Nance.
0: Jim Nance is a great pick. Jim Nance. It's a very, very I mean, vanilla pick, though, for, for pick oh, one overall.
2: Ooh Jim Nance has brought me Patriots football 1 p.m. on Sundays since I can remember. Guy has been on my television every single Sunday that the Patriots are on CBS. I love Jim Nance ever since he made a switch with, uh, you know, whoever that goober was that was in the booth next to him before. Phil uh, Simms. Phil Sims, yeah. Ever since they got rid of him and they brought Tony Romo in, Best broadcasting duo in sports. And G- it's not even close.
0: Jim Nance is great. You can associate him with football and golf both. There's certainly yep. a lot of versatility there. He does a lot of things. He knows the tenor of the moment very well. Yes, he does. Um, I think he's great on football. I think he's excellent on golf as well. He's got an appropriate amount of theatrics and dramaticness when it calls for it he always steps into the moment you love it hello friends you're a little bit always part of my sunday you're a little bit off though when you say that because if if the patriots are playing at one o'clock jim nance is not on the call i mean jim nance is doing that 425 game and the patriots are in that window a lot so that's where you see nance if they're playing at one o'clock they're getting Iron eagle who's my guy Iron Eagle's on my list of possible draft picks in this He's game. He's on my list as well. I love Iron Eagle, friend of the show, so I love Iron Eagle, but, uh, Jim Nance is a safe pick at number one. I would agree I, I with think, that. I think, I think it's the
2: only acceptable football pick, unless you were to go, uh, the NBC route.
0: Well, I'm gonna tell you, with my number one pick in the draft, you talk about versatility you talk about theatrics you talk about living up to the moment as a play-by-play announcer I and swear you're talking to God, if about you say and you're talking about multiple sports as well oh no okay. there's only one answer here for me with the number one pick and that is Kevin Harlan okay thank God Kevin Harlan to me number one pick you talk about versatility theatrics he is awesome hold I... on hold on Oh, with no no regard regard for for human life. And Kevin Harlan and I go way back, like, as, as me being a fan. Kevin Harlan, voice of NBA Jam 1999 on the mm-hmm. N64. He throw. he went up high, he came down hard. They call it the high, hard one. He, he just sucked the gravity out of the Barclays Center. He's yeah. been doing this for a long time, and he's, it's, it's so much more than just the call.
1: 20, 5.03 to go. Someone has run on the field. Oh, my roommate Eric loves these.
0: He's listening right now, too. And
1: now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle to 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. (laughs) Pull up those pants. He's being
0: chased to the 30. He breaks the tackle from a security guard. The 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5. He's at the one, and they converge on him at the goal line. Kevin Harlan can call the Streaker. He can call the Black Cat on the field. He can call the Super Bowl. He can call, he can call anything. Yeah. Kevin Harlan is awesome. Kevin Harlan, great
2: pick by, g- great pick by Brady with Kevin Harlan, the goat. First time texter, so. Kevin, hey, look, Kevin Harlan is a great pick. He was my, he was my second. Kevin, Harlan. Oh,
0: really? Yes. Okay, well. So you did snake him from me. So I get the snake draft here. So it's my pick again. So go ahead. Oh. Oh, okay. Round two of the Brady Farkas Show broadcaster draft. This one might have... My bad. Might have been more prominent, like five or six. Would you stop playing the thing? <laughs> trying to get it back to the beginning. five or this might have been more prominent five or six years ago. He's gone to FS1 now, so he's not heard as much. I wish he were still oh. at CBS doing NCAA basketball and doing the NFL. But there is only one place to go for my next pick, and that is the man Gus Johnson. UDM. We tell you once again, comes down to fundamentals. Oh my goodness, Sorrente hit that one from the parking lot. When that's the biggest call athletically in your state's history, that's there's no way that Gus Johnson is not going to be on my roster. Versatile, NFL on CBS, he did. He was the voice of college basketball on CBS for for Mark. Look, Jim Dance great in the NCAA tournament. Bill Raftery, Onion Stevilorder great in the NCAA tournament. Gus Johnson is the all-time greatest. Here
1: comes Jimmer. Long Whoa.
0: I mean, you talk about the moment in theatrics and everything is just like, everything is just pandemonium. Ah, ah. Like, you think Romo? Like, Romo is you know, all the histrionics. Gus Johnson was doing that way before Romo. No joke. When I went to college in central New York, the Buffalo Bills were horrendous, right? They were like 4-12 yeah. and 12 every year. And every single Sunday at 1, I was forced to watch the Bills with, like, Trent Edwards, Captain Checkdown as the quarterback. The only saving grace was that Gus Johnson was the broadcaster for that CBS window, and he often got the Bills, and it didn't matter. Like, he made everything good. It'd be like, it's third down and eight, Buffalo with the ball, Edwards gets the snap, rolling right, looking, 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 he throws it out of bounds, and the Bills will have to punt. I mean, that, like, Gus Johnson could make everything exciting. Gus Johnson, great pick by me.
2: I don't. I don't disagree with the pick, but I don't need hypeness in you know you know uh, you know when you don't convert on third and third and out. You know what I'm saying? If you don't if you go third and three and out on a drive, and he's saying, "Oh, we need to throw it out of bounds." Like, congratulations, man! Gus. You're gonna get another drive. I look. That's why people dish on Matt Baskerson all the time, and I'm not disagreeing. I, I like Matt Baskerson. He's one of my favorite baseball announcers.
0: MLB Network and ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, and yeah. the voice of MLB the Show, and
2: I, he is. But that's probably the reason why I, I don't have him in my top five is because he. He's the voice of MLB the show and I hear a lot of him um but you know he, he, he he's always you know aggressive when you don't need it to be aggressive baseball's like golf you know you could you need to pull it back you okay. need to pull it back so all right who's your second pick my second pick in the whatever this is Wdev broadcaster draft is the actual goat of NBA broadcasting Mike Breen. Oh, Mike Breen is great. Bang! Bang! That is exactly why I have Mike Breen up here. Listen to this.
0: Final seconds. Bryant for the win. is.
2: Is that a Kobe call? That was Kobe. That was Kobe against Phoenix. And he pulled his jersey back. You know? Yeah. What a shot by Curry! You know, he gets the NBA Finals all the time. My favorite Mike Breen
0: call. James catches, puts up the three. Long go! Rebound box. Back out to Allen! History final! Bang! game with five seconds remaining! Ray Allen for the Heat against the Spurs.
2: Yeah. 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 Just an absolutely legendary call by Mike Breen. I, I look, I mean, like, the guy, he's always... He always knows when to pull out the big ones. You know, he's got it's good. He's got he's got, you know, bang. He's got the double bang. I mean, like he pulled that one out in the bubble when there were no fans to get, you know, to get us hyped when Luca hit that game winner against the Clippers. I mean, Mike Breen always, he's in the moment. I am so jealous that the New York Knicks have him as their main as their lead play-by-play guy because if the Boston Celtics had a, had a position open, I would say, "Hey, go get Mike Breen." Yeah. That guy, that guy is Always, always gonna deliver.
0: Mike Breen is phenomenal and Mike, like Marv Albert, he follows the, uh, Knicks and National Front. So I, I love Mike Breen. So now at this point, we're at an interesting point in the draft here. Yeah. Cause you're about to kick off round three. We each have two play by play guys. We each mm-hmm. need two analysts and then get a wild card. So where are you going in round three?
2: All right. Round three of the Brady w- Parker Show? Brady Parker Show WDEV draft. I am going to go with my first analyst, and it is Tony Romo. Look, I need the number one NFL duo in my booth, Tony Romo um, and Jim Nance. Ever since those two got paired together, Tony Romo breaks down the game like he's talking to a kindergartner, and it is exactly what every single American needs when they're watching football, Chris Collinsworth, he's great, and uh, Phil Simms, you know, and Troy Aikman, those guys use so many X's and O's. I don't need that. I need to know when the blitz is coming, exactly where it's coming from. And because Tony Romo hasn't played, you know, played not that long ago, he is modern. He's with the NFL times. Uh, the guy, the guy has been. Clutch and awesome. He makes the game simple for the casual football
0: fan. Look, Romo's excellent. You're right. His ability to see things before the play happens is great. His excitability is great. His playoff Nance, who's very subdued, Mm -hmm. is great. But that idea of being the crazy analyst is not even possible if not for my next pick. My analyst is not just a good analyst. He's not just a Hall of Famer. He is the face of a sport. You don't get Tony Romo without my guy, Dickie V. Dickie V. Dickie V is my number one analyst, and he's a huge steal for me here in round three, pick two. Would have thought he would have been long gone in the analyst portion. You don't get the hysteronics of a Romo without Dickie V saying it was okay for the guy next to the play-by-play guy to be excitable. But is he it's, current? Oh, yes. He's still working now. Is he? Yes. ESPN yeah. College Basketball, Big 12, ACC. It's awesome, baby. Diaper dandy. Every yeah. great... Every great phrase we know about in college basketball, like ninety percent of them are from Dickie V.
2: See, I had him ready, but I didn't think he
0: was current. Well, then you need to watch ESPN college hoops a little bit more. I guess guess Quinnipiac hasn't been on ESPN recently. No,
2: we're on ESPN U and ESPN plus. Get your subscription, five bucks a month. All right, here we go. You're going again? Yes.
0: Round four Pick number one. I'm going the analyst road again. And this one was tough. Mm-hmm. This one was tough. Collinsworth is on my list. I'm not going there. Okay. Aikman is on my list. I'm not going yeah, there. Yeah, you shouldn't. Lewis Riddick is on my list. I love Lewis Riddick. I'm not going there. John Smoltz is on my list. I wouldn't. I'm no, not, not going great. there. He's not great. But I am going with Bill Raftery. I'm staying in college basketball All again. Right. Bill Raftery, one of the best calls of my life. Freshman year of college for me. I grew up in Albany. I was all in on the Siena Saints bandwagon when they were a nine seed ticket on Ohio State in Columbus. Ronald Moore. The jumper from Moore. Yes! Oh, yes. Oh, oh, wow! Onions, and then he later kicked it off with onions. Double order! There's So, every. I've got the college basketball market cornered, by the way. With my ability to get Kevin Harlan, Gus Johnson, uh. Uh, Dickie V and Bill Raftery, I've got the ultimate dream team when it comes to college basketball. I'm great in the NFL with Gus and with Kevin Harlan, but I have crushed college basketball. And, and I have congrats. just, I have gotten, I, I have cornered the market on talent there.
2: That's fine. That's all, that's all good and, that's all good and fun. But my guy Jim Nance does college basketball too. He gets the national championship. So does Kevin
0: Harlan on radio, and Kevin Harlan's better than Jim Nance. Hot take.
2: Oh, okay. Listen. Jim Nance, for me is just he's just part of my childhood and that's why I had to take him for the same reasons that you just took your that you just made your last pick but it is finally my turn again and I realize that I have just clicked out of the ESPN or the NFL sound so <laughs> I will be making my pick my second analyst pick and I get everybody on my list I get Mark Jackson
0: Oh, please have him. Yeah,
2: that's fine with me because I have the guy who would, who can just make it poetic. The guy can, Mama, there goes that man. My goodness, switching the pick and roll, you allow him to turn the corner. Mama, there goes that man, Milsap. That is actually a saying in my house now. Mama, there goes that man. That Look, is one that I have put in my arsenal for when I get my first play-by-play gig. Probably. So you're gonna steal Single somebody. A shorts. I'm not stealing it. I'm giving him. I'll give him credit. Hey, he took that one, and he also. Uh, he also has. Um, Allow me to have this dance. He lulls him to sleep, sings him a lullaby, and then he goes into the, Mama. There goes that
0: man. All right. I love. I. I you know. I love that line. I don't. Eh, I could do without Mark. I think accent. that the um, who's your last pick?
2: I, I think that hang on, and, before, and before I make my last pick, I think that the um oh geez I, the the ESPN analyst pool with Jeff Van Gundy and yeah. Art, it's, it's, Doris Burke was on my
0: list too. I love Doris, Doris Burke.
2: Doris Burke is good, but. Jeff Van Gundy and Mike, and, and just brings Mike Breen down. Like that just brings the ESPN down. I hope he gets a coaching Reggie job Miller's just good. so he, just so he doesn't, we don't have to hear him. My last pick. And I'm so glad you didn't take him because in my opinion, this is turned, this guy has turned into the number one MLB play by play guy. And it is none other than Joe Davis. Joe Davis over at Fox Sports 1? Yep. Joe Davis at Fox Sports 1. He, he
0: does a little NFL. He does NFL, too. He's on Fox's NFL he pair. Is, and he's like he's, team three or four for yeah, them. Yeah, he's team three with them. Uh, he should
2: be, in my opinion, he's, he's a team two guy for them. But he's he should be team one Major League Baseball. Look, I need to have a baseball guy on my list. This is the first baseball guy I've got. Joe Davis has been the voice of the Dodgers ever since Vin Scully stepped down a few years ago, and he has just been killing the game. I don't have the call pulled up right now, but his he got the NLCS last year, Dodgers Braves, and Cody Bellinger hit that home run in Game Seven, and it was the one where he hit it off uh, he, he hit it off some tall right handed Martin, yeah, uh, Zach Martin, I believe. No, Chris, Chris Martin, yeah, beautiful swing, bat drop. Cody Bellinger has arrived, and he because Bellinger was struggling that entire series brilliant call by him. He had the Red Sox Yankees game a couple weeks ago on Fox and I was so glad to turn on my TV and not hear the annoying voice of Joe Buck.
0: Well, when we put out our list after and we're going to do that on social media about yep. whose list was better, who won the draft, I'm going to win the and entire poll because no one's ever heard of Joe Davis. So No,
2: you're no, because Joe Davis is new. Yeah, but He's no, new, but that's, that that means I have a nice Growable rookie on my staff. And everyone, I have experience. I have the number one NFL voice, number one NBA voice, number one NFL analyst, and argue and the top three, four NBA analysts. And now I've got the lead MLB and everyone MLB is going MLB to
0: vote voice. for me because they've never heard of Joe Davis. So that's, I, I mean, then that's then that's. You know, boohoo for them. I'm kind of disappointed you took Joe Davis because you've left me so much talent now that I'm going to have to evidently reject Joe Buck. I like he gets far too much grief. Joe Buck is really good. Also interviewed him. Great guy for me when he came on the show. So uh, Joe Buck was great. Al Michaels, he's like the pioneer of play-by-play. Love Al
2: Michaels. I got to I gotta leave. I would get him for hockey if I didn't have to take. I had to take a baseball guy though.
0: Sean McDonough, him. who's been doing Red Sox games, who's you know college football, formerly voice uh, NBA. Mm-hmm. I like him. Steve Levy, Oswego guy, shout out to him. Uh, Iron Eagle, who I love. Iron Eagle's good. I'm going with Kenny Albert. Albert. I'm going with Kenny Albert. We said it at the same time. I'm going with Kenny Albert. I get hockey, I get NFL, I get NBA. Kenny Albert's awesome. You know what Kenny Albert reminds me of? Kenny Albert just feels like NF- NFC East football, Giants, Eagles, 1 o'clock in November. A pointless game, exactly. That's who Kenny Albert feels like to me. Oh, by the way, throw in the Stanley Cup Finals where you're at it. Um, if Doc Emmerich were still around, he'd be the number one pick in this draft, but he just retired, so unfortunately Doc we're you're-
2: Who was the lead voice of the Orioles for years? Really? Yeah. Gary Thorne. Gary former. Thorne. He, he, he's actually the father of one of my neighbors, and I've actually emailed with him a couple times back and forth.
0: I need to get him on my list. Gary Thorne's father lives in, in Burlington? You no, know, Gary Thorne's
2: daughter. Sorry. Oh, daughter lives in Burlington? Yeah, she lives in my neighborhood.
0: Is she a broadcaster? She is not a broadcaster. I was going to say, can she get him on the show for us?
2: She, I, I, I have his email. I can, I will, I will send him an we'll email. We'll
0: set that up to be your first task here.
2: Get. Your first guest for get us. Get the, uh, lead NHL guy. He's, yes. gonna,
0: he's coming to ESPN on NHL, is he, he? is, so. Alright, my team, again, real quick, we're gonna run through this. I've got, uh, in no particular order at this point. I've got Kevin Harlan, I've got Kenny Albert, I've got, um Dickie V, I've got Bill Raftery and, uh, who's my fifth one here? You had, uh, who was the guy that did the form from the parking lot? Oh, oh, Gus Johnson, of course. And yeah, yes. that's the guy that no one's so,
2: gonna understand because he's, like, I knew who Gus Johnson was, but like, does everybody know who yes. Gus Johnson? No. Absolutely. No. no. And Vicky and V's not current enough. That's why I'm gonna win with Jim Nance, Mike Breen, Tony Romo, Mark Jackson, and the new lead voice of Major League Baseball, Joe Davis. Alright. We'll, we'll
0: come right back here. Nathan Avaldi's an all-star somehow. We, I don't get that. That's next.
2: Hi, this is Evan Hallstrom. I race super late models with the Pro All-Star Series. You can follow me throughout the summer, racing up and down the East Coast. I've always loved auto racing. Not only do I drive the car, but I build it with my dad. We're a small family-run team that has a lot of fun. I'm proud of the work that I do with the Governor's Highway Safety Program and the Vermont Highway Safety Alliance. Remember, click it or ticket. Follow me on my Facebook page at Evan Racing and Twitter at EvanHMS1, or my website site at
0: Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. All right, final segment here, Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEB Radio.com, brought to you in part by uh, Evan holstrom Racing. If you're a big fan of racing in this state, Evan Hallstrom a name you need to follow. 18 years old, out of Northfield, Vermont, online at Racing.com. Jack, we're kind of up against it here. we only got about two minutes left. Yeah, Dinner fine. Jazz comes up at 7 o'clock. Nathan Evaldi was one of five Red Sox to make the team. I have no problem with the other four. Matt Congratulations. Barnes. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations in order for sure. It's a great story of perseverance, kinda of discarded by the Marlins, Yankees, multiple Tommy John surgeries. He has been good. He's nine and four this year with an ERA of three four one. Um I don't think that Nathan Divaldi feels like an all-star.
2: He doesn't feel like an all-star, but, you know, there's a lot of guys like Cedric Mullins, who you've never yeah. heard of before, who's, you know, arguably AL MVP right now. Yeah, but Cedric
0: Mullins, every team has to have a representative, so that's why Cedric yeah. Mullins comes He's also good in baseball. I understand that, but Nathan Divaldi 9-4 and four with a 3-4-1. Chris Bassett of the A's, 9-2 and two with a 304. I mean, Chris Bassett's more deserving than Nathan Ivaldi is. Jose Barrios, 7-2 and two, with a 3-5-2, a better whip, playing on a much worse team without the run support that Ivaldi gets. I, look, I think this is a product in part because of injuries around baseball. Glasnow, Tampa, would have been on this team if not for injury. Uh, Aaron Savale of Cleveland, leading the league in wins when he got injured, would have been on this team if not for injury. Nathan Ivaldi has been good for the Red Sox, but when I think about an all-star pitcher, I think about somebody who... Can stop a losing streak, who's a guaranteed six innings every time out. And I understand the definition of starting pitcher is changing, but Evaldi has thrown less than six innings in more than 50% of his starts. He's been good, but I find myself hoping for good performances rather than expecting them out of Nathan Evaldi. He's been a pleasant surprise this year, a nice rebound from 2019, He's justified his contract, and it's a great story, but he does not feel like an all-star to me.
2: He's an all-star to me. He leaves the league in home runs allowed. He had less than .4 home runs allowed since the crackdowns. He has made six starts, 2-4-3 ERA, uh, 32 Ks, and five walks. He is in the top two percentile in allowing walks. So he he is, is one of the best pitchers in the American League.
0: He's certainly been good. But Chris Bassett, I think, was more deserving. And certainly, if guys weren't injured, Evaldi wouldn't be on this team. I'm happy for him. I know it means a lot to him. It should mean a lot to him, but it does not. He does not feel like he fits the definition of an All Star. All right, that'll do it for us. If you missed any of the show, check it out on the podcast, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Sox baseball comes up at 8:40. Dinner Jazz next on DEV.